these markets never had really highs and never had really big lows. You, you didn't have the, the bigger shocks that you have in, 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 say, Florida, for example. So, you know, now Greenville Spartanburg is on the map. Now there's more and more REITs that have found out about Greenville Spartanburg. For example, Stag Industrial has a large portfolio and they're building a pretty substantial uh, spec uh, warehouse now. You know, of course, Simon is the dominant mall landlord in the market as well. A number of uh, apartment, mid-America apartment communities, which I also own, MAA, uh, they've got, I think, 10 communities in the Greenville-Spartanburg market. And and I like those markets. I mean, I like, there are a number of REITs that invest in, in uh, secondary markets, but uh, there are a lot of markets around the Southeast uh, that I think are extremely attractive. And, and again, that's that's really important. Hello, everybody. Kirk Spano with Seeking Alphas Investing Experts. And today we will be interviewing Brad Thomas, who is a real estate expert that I've been following for, boy, quite a long time. His uh, service on Seeking Alpha is iReet on Alpha. At the end of this podcast, you can check for the transcript over on Seeking Alpha, which should be published about the time that you hear this. Hey Brad, how are you doing today? Kirk, it's great to hear from you, and I'm really happy to be on this uh, on this channel with you. Yeah, I've uh, done a few interviews now, and I've been looking forward to talking to you. Give you a couple of reasons why. One, I've been reading you a long time, and I've been involved in real estate investing about 20 years now, and I do a few things that are differently than most investors. I'm not the giant REIT guy that you are, although we have a basket of about a dozen REITs that we follow for various reasons. And I know that your universe is probably a little bit bigger than that. So we want to get some of your ideas. I've been working with some real estate firms, uh, development firms, private equity firms for a number of years now. And we have certain thesis about what we're looking to invest in and why. But mainly it's for accredited investors. So that leaves a lot of people on the sideline. REITs are the alternative for them. And you have a lot of the experience that I do and probably way more. So I'd like to just hear from you. What has 30 years in real estate taught you? I saw that in one of your articles. Well, I guess, Kirk, I'm going to try to you know, provide the Reader's Digest version of that. I, I think I could literally write a book on that. Um, but, and by the way, I enjoy those types of articles uh, on Seeking Alpha, especially, you know, the, the, what I call the lessons learned articles. And boy, there are a lot of lessons that I could I could fill up probably many, many books with. But, um, you know, look, I think the main thing that really pointed me to the REIT sector is all of these lessons and all of these really adverse times that I went through. Um, so I had a I had a business partnership that that unraveled. And uh, it was very difficult to unwind all of the partnerships and all the all the LLCs uh, that we own together. And um, you know, so uh, you can you can now see clearly my uh, my uh, desire to have uh, professional management and SEC reporting um, and liquidity. Because uh, when you go through those bad times, you know, in a, in the real estate sector, I'm referring to the private sector, of course. You know, you don't have, there's no button that you can hit that says, okay, I want to liquidate. I want to eject my business partner or the manager from this from this deal. 
Um, you know, so it took me about a decade of really tough, tough, tough times. And Kirk, that's about the same time that I landed on Seeking Alpha was when I was going through kind of the end of this, you know, we're coming out of the Great Recession. I'd gone through a pretty, pretty tough uh, time with this business partner of mine. And, and unraveling all of this was not easy. It was it took it took a long time to really get uh, to get back on my feet. I signed a lot of personal guarantees. Uh, that was very challenging. Uh, and so you know, I'm happy to have landed on Seeking Alpha, and it was uh, uh, it was just one of the best things that I've ever done. And because now I can I can write about you know not only some of these tough times but some of these uh, losing deals but also some of these good deals and and really helping uh you know readers to uh to to navigate through uh through this world and so reits are great because of that i mean you have the liquidity you have the transparency you have the diversification you have most of the time solid management although there are some that you know that don't have good management so Anyway, that's that's really the Reader's Digest version, I would say. There's a lot that I can unpack in 30 years, and I definitely look forward to writing more articles like this so I could uh, provide some more of those details for our readers. Uh, one of the topics that's been in a couple of your articles recently has been the idea that we may have a recession coming, and how do we use REITs as a bit of insulation and income generation uh, during a potential recession, what are we looking for uh, as far as characteristics go with those types of REITs? What are your thoughts on REITs that should stand up to a recession? Do, do you even think that we need to worry about that um, just from your experience with cycles? You know, I wish I wish I knew if we were going into a recession or not. You know, some argue we're in a recession. You know, from 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 the you know, and I look at this. Uh, you know, it's 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 a changing. Uh, it's a changing. Every day is different, and so uh, you know, I'm of the belief now that maybe we may we may avoid a recession, but but I'm preparing our readers and our our base for a recession because you know, having lived through the great one myself, um, I really think you know, and there's there's so much an investor can can utilize. Uh, from looking at how real estate and REITs and, and specifically these property sectors uh, have, have, have managed through these various recessions. And now I've lived through quite a few. Um, so I'm preparing and I'm preparing our, our, our team for, for a recession. And so some of the sectors that we're really avoiding completely uh, are, of course, the hotel sector. The hotel sector typically does not do very well um, in recessions at all. And again, we can rely on history now to look at all the lodging REITs and how they've underperformed you know, in those recessions. If there's one subsector of lodging that probably I, I would say, I would, I, would, I would not necessarily recommend it, but I would probably say it's probably the most defensive sector is the limited service sector. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, we're, we're staying clear of lodging right now. Um, retail, I think, is just going to be fine, especially some of the categories that we really like more, like the the uh, you know the uh, um, necessity uh, grocery chains, grocery anchored shopping centers would be kind of one category. Uh, but retail has actually held up pretty well, um, and so you know. But I, I would say limiting your exposure to retail as we potentially enter a recession. Uh, is something I would I would definitely you know maintain a, a more moderate exposure to. 
Um, in terms of you know sectors that I think are more defensive, um, net lease has always been for me a, uh, a more attractive uh, property sector. Obviously, the long term, long duration leases uh, uh, certainly provide that predictable revenue. Uh, we we look you know we look harder though at the companies that support that revenue or generate that revenue. So uh, right now I like those investment grade uh, backed tenants uh, like Realty Income and Agree Realty ticker O and ticker ADC. Um, they both uh, have a large number of uh, investment grade rated rated tenants. Uh, we think those are going to be extremely defensive in this in this cycle. And of course if we go if we go back to two thousand eight two thousand nine. Um, all three of these uh, larger net lease REITs, Realty Income uh, um, and uh, WP Carry and National Retail Properties, all, all did very well you know, uh, before, during, and, and after the recession. Uh, they both, in, all, the, all three of those increased dividends on 2008-2009. Uh, of course, Agri had some struggles, and I think really it's more of a lessons learned for Agri. I know the CEO, really, Joey, really well, and I'm glad to see Joey... Uh, um, um, interacting on Seeking Alpha. He's one of the few CEOs, but he does get into the chat room, which is great. Um, um, and so, but, but Agri uh, did have to make some, some necessary changes to their business model. They had a lot of borders exposure and Kmart exposure. And coming out of uh, the Great Recession, they've really done a great job of recycling that entire portfolio. And it's much more defensive. And it is definitely in line with a realty income uh, business model today. So I like those defensive uh, spaces. Industrial has held up extremely well, uh, and I think they will uh, even in this potential recession. Uh, so we like those uh, areas. You know, one of, the, one of the, I guess, the areas that I think is really interesting, and I just, uh, just covered this in detail in my new book, which is called REITs for Dummies, um, which is, uh, should be published here this summer. And, you know, we talk about the technology trifecta, meaning these sectors that are all correlated with their various technology. Uh, 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 so, for example, we have industrial, we have uh, uh, cell towers, and we have data centers. All three of those are combined and kind of create that three-leg to the stool uh, type, of, type of business. And what's interesting is you look at those companies and the growth profile of all three of those, of those sectors uh, and – They've all, they all have and, and will continue to generate above average growth, uh, earnings growth and dividend growth. So uh, technology really is a, is a great place to, to, to invest through real estate. You know, we're, we're seeing all of this AI craze right now and, uh, you know, the automated vehicles and all of that, all of the, all of the technology that we're seeing today is really, if it weren't for the, you know, data centers, none of this would even occur. I mean, the, 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 the whole... Uh, infrastructure that supports uh, AI or is, is the data center business. So we think that we're extremely bullish with, with data centers right now. And of course, there's some really good, really attractive pricing right now in, in, that, in that sector. Uh, same goes for the cell tower space. Uh, we think there's some really good attractive names there. And of course, the industrial uh, s- sector as well, which is uh, large, largely supported by e-commerce. So those are areas that I think... Uh, you know, we're, we're really looking hard at. And, and again, this is a great opportunity to be uh, buying uh, REITs right now. Uh, obviously, we're, we're, we're still kind of in the middle of this rate uh, rate increase. But uh, I think at some point uh, in the not near future, 
uh, we will see a, uh, a permanent pause. And uh, I think that, that will be the time where you're going to start to see uh, share prices really starting to revert you know, towards the, uh, towards the, the mean. So um, it's, it's a great time to be owning REITs today, but we're very selective looking at, at quality, focusing on, on the underlying earnings. Yeah, you know, a lot of the things that you just talked about are similar to what we have been talking about. So let's talk about big secular trends and and playing cycles and expectations from investors because I think that, first of all, I think people ignore the big secular trends, which you just talked about a little bit. I don't think they understand in general that cycles are largely dependent on monetary conditions. And I don't think people often set proper expectations on their investments. And all these things have led to why most investors get a low single-digit return over time is because they set it and forget it and they don't truly know the underlying story and fundamentals of what they're investing in. So either they invest in high-expense funds or they invest in things that they don't know well enough, which is you know, one of the things that Warren Buffett talks about all the time. You know, If you had that punch card with only 20 stocks that you could buy, you would get to know those stocks a whole lot better, those companies a whole lot better. One of the themes that you talked about was technology. And I have been talking to people about this since way back in my market watch days how technology was going to change the world. The last interview I did with Rami uh, talking about the singularity and the changes in technology and AI, uh, I think probably the people who listened to that, they started to understand that the changes that we're seeing in everything, including down to real estate, is accelerating. So I mentioned earlier that I do some private equity investing And we take a look at the trends and what's coming. And I know that you've done things like this as well. I've seen some of the projects that you've been involved with um, historically and dating back to your, your partnership. What do you think is going to happen with the reshoring? So let's talk about the industrial space. You have reshoring going on, and there are parts of the country that are going to do very well from what we can tell, and this is a private equity focus for us, is it's the Midwest. You have Intel and Ford expanding in Kentucky and Ohio. You have all sorts of growth happening in Wisconsin, uh, businesses leaving Illinois. Uh, Minneapolis area is seeing some of these uh, big upticks. In fact, what we saw in the Milwaukee area is population go up for the first time in like 35 or 40 years recently. It wasn't much, but the outflow from the Midwest to the coasts in Florida, Southwest, if it's not extremely slowing down, it's starting to slow down. And it might even be reversing that. We don't know if we're in pre-game batting practice or if we're already in the first inning, but definitely the game is afoot. What parts of the country are you looking at as far as geography, because I think geography is important. Which industries do you really like? Uh, we're in uh, Prologis and uh, uh, 
couple other ETFs in that space. I don't really want to give the names, but maybe you can drop them if you want. Uh, what what industrial REITs do you like? Because I think that that is something that people are underappreciating. Yeah, well, of course, I am uh, currently today, I'm, I live in South Carolina. So I will start with the uh, uh, with this uh, little one-liner, uh, nothing could be finer than to live in Carolina. Um, and I think that was a song. But at any rate, um, you know, the Carolinas are just exploding. I mean, I live here in a little town called Spartanburg, South Carolina, which some some of our people here call it Sparkle City. And um, what's, what's really, I've been here now, you know, three decades. And I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, which is our neighboring uh, neighboring city. And um, the MSA, which includes Greenville and Spartanburg and Anderson, is around a million people. Um, right in the middle of this MSA, there's an automobile plant that opened up around 25 years ago called BMW. And before BMW, yeah, exactly. And before BMW, there was, we were essentially known as the textile, textile town. I mean, we had a lot of textiles here. We have, we have, there's no labor influence whatsoever in in South Carolina. That's one of the reasons that many, many businesses are are flocking to this, to this, to this community. Um, But it's, it's really been interesting to see the explosion of demand. And it really started with BMW. Actually, I built, as a developer, I built one of the uh, suppliers' uh, facilities for BMW when they, when they came to town. This was about a 200,000-square-foot building that now is over a million square feet. Um, you've got Michelin's uh, North American headquarters based here. Um, so you've got, you know, we've, we've, we've got a number of automobile suppliers. And, of course, Clemson University, where I also guest lecture, uh, is, uh, has a, their own automotive uh, engineering school. So, you know, what's happened is a lot of those jobs that are, you know, we're in Detroit or we're up in, you know, Maine uh, have now come down to the south uh, because we've got a great workforce. We've got terrific weather. Uh, we've got no labor issues. Uh, and, um, you know, it, and a lot of nice people, really nice people. And so I will tell you, that migration is occurring for a reason, and it's not just in South Carolina and North Carolina. It's in Georgia. It's in Alabama. It's in Florida. It's in Texas. We've got now four of our my colleagues, uh, Williams Equity Research, Justin Law, and others are based in Texas, and you know we're seeing they're seeing the same thing you know in in, in Austin and in Dallas. So we're we're seeing a significant demand uh, in that in that sector, and I think it's going to continue. Um, I'm actually going to tour a lithium uh, property, uh, hopefully in the next day or two, that's 30 miles away from me in a little town called Kings Mountain, North Carolina, 800 acres. Uh, Albemarle is getting ready to fire up a, a, new, a new mining facility that's going to cr- be enormous. Many people don't know exactly what's going on with Albemarle. But we've been really digging deep behind this company. We just published a research report on Seeking Alpha oh, a couple of weeks ago. So I'm going to tell you the demand here is extremely strong. And it's not only manufacturing, of course, it's retail, it's, it's uh, uh, multifamily, and even office. You know, I know office has got its uh, issues, and there's no question about it, that the office space, we're, we're seeing uh, tremendous changes in, in office utilization. 
uh, especially in you know gateway markets in New York City and San Francisco, uh, uh, definitely. But uh, even in the Southeast, I'm still bullish with companies like Highwoods Property Trust, ticker HIW, um, headquartered in in uh, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. But they've got uh, office properties all up and down the the uh, Sun Belt, and we think that's a, that's definitely the, and their their fundamentals are ext- extremely strong. There's a lot of growth. And so, again, I think the Sunbelt market is definitely the way to play. If you're going to start, I know you like poker, Kirk, so if you're going to put chips on a, in a geography, I would be overweighting those chips in the Sunbelt right now. Those markets you mentioned, I was in, I was in Minnesota uh, back in December. It was freezing. It was negative like 10 degrees when I was there meeting with my other uh, uh, dividend sensei, who's another great writer working with us here. Uh, but uh, those are all great towns, but I'm, I think the Sun Belt is really exploding, and I see it every single day. Warehouses are just continuing to pop up along the ID5 corridor, which, of course, connects Atlanta to Charlotte. So um, it's just a great market, and I think investors would, should really be looking at, 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 at and, you know, investing in those types of markets for sure. I, I part agree with you on that. Uh, I part don't agree with you on that. So let's uh, let's make a market here and talk about that. So I like the Carolina area, Virginia, uh, Tennessee. Uh, we, we've invested in Tennessee. Uh, and again, I look through things through the viewpoint of more of a private equity investor. And so we have to translate that to public markets. But I made that transition to thinking less like a broker, like, I had to back when I was a broker to when I became an investment advisor, I could look at things differently, different regulations, different group of people I'm working with. And I really like to look for cheap because cheap builds in a margin of safety that you don't get when you're paying full price for something, right? I'm sure we agree on that. My concern with the Sun Belt is this, uh, in particular, Florida. Um, we look at things through the viewpoint of not only private equity, but also migration patterns, uh, rents, and climate resiliency. We are desperately afraid of Florida because we know uh, that they have billions and billions of dollars of infrastructure that they're going to have to repair and fortify over the next 20 years. Insurance rates are sky high. Rents have flattened in the last couple of quarters, which I think is a signal that growth is slowing there. And you really have an aging population. So you have the combination of an aging population in Florida. It's not a very climate resilient place. Insurance rates show that rents are flattening. You have the boom going in on the financial industry down around uh, Ken Griffin and Citadel in Miami. I think that probably is a supportive thing for that area, and that will help them build the 30-foot walls that are a football field thick along the ocean that they're going to need. If you've been to New Orleans, you've seen that they had to do that along the Mississippi, and these are tremendously expensive projects. So we don't really invest in Florida anymore. We did years ago, especially in 2020, uh, but all the way back, I'd say 20 years ago, we were picking out spots down there. Do you separate where you live and the area you live 
from Florida or do you bundle it all together? How do you pick and choose, you know, where do you really want your dollars to go? Oh, that's a great question. And, and uh, I, you know, I kind of agree. Florida is, is definitely an outlier. Um, but, you know, kind of drilling down to Florida, you know, I've got a, a place in Florida and an office in Florida, and I'm down there quite a bit, and a car, a car down there. So I'm not a resident yet, but maybe the car's a resident. Um, okay. and, uh, but I may be. I may be soon. Who knows? Um, but, look, I think you're right. I mean, in certain, certain sectors, I would avoid in Florida. Um, and in multifamily, you're right. It's gotten, it, the, the apartment that I rent down there, the rent went up 60%. And and you're right, it's flattened, and and uh, the renewal renewal comes up in in three months. So it'll be interesting to see what what happens with that. Um, but it's definitely I would I would stay away from multifamily. The, the, what I really like about Florida is the aging population. You just can't deny the demographics of Florida, and the aging population has shifted there. My dad passed away about four years ago. And he retired in Florida and was buried in Florida, Veterans Cemetery there. And, you know, it's just Florida is definitely so much demand from people coming down to retire in Florida. And so the sectors that I would really invest in would be manufactured housing, number one, which, by the way, also includes marinas. Uh, one of the companies we that I'm invested in, um, uh, Sun Communities, SUI, they also own a very large marina, a number of large marinas, but one in particular is called Safe Harbor, uh, which is in Fort Lauderdale, one of the largest uh, in, the, in the U.S. So I like manufactured housing. Uh, I like, as a, res- as a result of the aging population, I like the healthcare business down there. There are a number of really high-quality medical office buildings uh, down in Florida owned by, uh, owned by Healthcare Read and Physicians Realty. Uh, so healthcare certainly is correlated to that aging population, uh, and then I think certain retail uh, I like in, in in Florida again all of this all of the uh, consumer demand and all the people moving to to Florida. But there are certain categories I agree that are getting frothy. And, and frankly, you know, if I were in the because we're actually investing in private uh, equity as well, if I were looking at you know, uh, private money, I would not, I would avoid Florida. Um, the only reason I, I own any real estate in Florida is through my REITs. And um, obviously with their cost of capital advantage uh, and their scale advantage, uh, they're able to generate really solid returns. So I like, I like Florida for diversification. I do worry, there are certainly risks that you note know, with the weather, hurricanes. Uh, I haven't gone through a hurricane in Florida. I have in South Carolina, but uh, I think you. I think definitely there are certainly risks there, um, but uh, you know, again, I think it's all part of an asset allocation strategy. And you know, I I, I like the fact I do have exposure to Florida, uh, but but I do I will say I mean the Carolinas again going back to kind of my home home here uh, home state. Uh, it's some very attractive uh, opportunities here, and just not as pricey. So you can get a lot lot more for your money. Going back to the margin of safety here in the Carolinas and in Georgia and Alabama, some of those markets. So, um, for sure. So, uh, but that's a great question, and I think Florida is uh, is definitely uh, going to be interesting. I'm glad we didn't talk politics, Kirk, because I really didn't want to. But obviously, that's another that's another risk if you want to throw that in uh, for Florida. Yeah, right. Does Disney uh, end up picking up and leaving and going to Tennessee, something like that? <laughs> um, 
Yeah, you know, I love Florida. I I uh, hang out in Hollywood Beach and been to the Keys and been on a key lime tasting tour. I mean, it's hard to argue with the lifestyle in Florida, uh, but the numbers, you know, because I've been looking for a second second home in a low tax state, and when you add up all the numbers, the argument for Florida isn't as strong as it was 10, 20 years ago, right? So the insurance costs and other costs of living, you know, so what if your income tax is 5 or 10% lower uh, if all your other expenses are higher? So now you're just making a lifestyle decision at some level and you have to, you know, weigh the pros and cons on your own personal, uh, you know, ledger. Um, in your region, because I, I really, I have a friend with Bank of America and, you know, I've been following along the development. Uh, I was lucky enough in college that a friend's dad, you know, took us to uh, South Carolina and I got to see what was going on there. And man, it's really developed. If you had to put it in terms of a baseball game or a football game, you know, let's, let's say baseball, because I played baseball 35 years. And for me, it's easy to, to figure out the analogy. I think Florida is probably eighth inning or ninth inning. But I think near you, it's the middle of the game somewhere, which means that you have a lot of the S-curve left to climb. Do you think that that's probably about right, or where would you put it? Yeah, that's a great, great point. I mean, you know, up until recently, Kirk, I would say what I loved about this, particularly Greenville-Spartanburg, this market, and it, you know, the, most of the markets like this in the Carolinas, Raleigh-Durham, uh, Charleston, but these markets never had really highs and never had really big lows. Uh, so when a recession, you know, hit, we we didn't feel it as hard. It was just not as, uh, you know, we just there you didn't have the the bigger shocks that you have in 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 say Florida, for example. So, but what's happened is, you know, now Greenville Spartanburg is on the map. You know, kind of going back to REITs. You know, I mean, I didn't buy many REITs twenty years ago. But I mean, I sold I sold some some properties, you know, two REITs back then, uh, primarily like realty income and some 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 net lease stuff when I was a developer, a few shopping centers. But now there's more and more REITs that have found out about Greenville Spartanburg. For example, Stag Industrial has a large portfolio and they're building a pretty substantial uh, spec uh, warehouse now, right, very close to BMW. Um, you know, of course, Simon is the dominant mall landlord in the market as well. Um, a number of uh, apartment, mid-America apartment communities, which I also own, MAA, uh, they've got, I think, 10 communities in the Greenville-Spartanburg market. So what's happened is Greenville-Spartanburg is not now the, you know, the, the, the little, little secret out there. Uh, it's, it's pretty well known. And again, a lot of jobs coming here. So, you know, um, at some point, you know, it could be expensive. But right now, I would, I would agree with your analogy you were probably in the fourth or fifth inning, uh, and I hope we don't get to you know the eighth or ninth inning. I hope I hope things can maintain. Obviously, you know there there are uh, uh, you know uh, costs to grow, uh, and um, you know we, we pay the price with with a lot more traffic and uh, and, and and infrastructure here that's needed. But um, but yeah, it's it's a great place, and I think a great place to to invest capital. And, and I like those markets. I mean, I like, there are a number of REITs that invest in, in uh, secondary markets uh, like these. And again, I go back to Highwoods again. 
Um, you know, they're in a lot of, you know, Nashville, which is a great market. Uh, by the way, Tanger Outlets just opened up a new outlet center there. I need to get over and take a look at that. But uh, there are a lot of markets around the Southeast uh, that I think are extremely attractive. And, and again, that's, that's, um, that's, that's really important. And, you know, I'm not avoiding West Coast markets altogether. Um, there's companies like Kilroy, uh, which is a primary life science landlord, uh, or Essex Property Trust, which is a pure play West Coast apartment landlord. Uh, but those, those markets have been extremely challenged. And in terms of diversification, I would definitely try to, you know, maintain more modest exposure, you know, to those markets. Uh, I, I had a, uh, a reader ask me recently, you know, about Essex. And, and my reply was, you know, I, I definitely I like Essex, but I would keep a, a, a more modest exposure. I like Mid-America. I like Camden Property Trust. Those are kind of my, my two favorite uh, in the multifamily space. Uh, and and probably not have as much exposure in Essex, given given all the issues that we're seeing, you know, in um, in San Francisco and, and and other markets in California. You know, I just got back from San Francisco, and I was there to meet with clients and look at real estate and get to know the market better uh, for two different companies that I consult with, uh, two two funds that I consult to, and I will tell you. I was shocked at how bad San Francisco was right now. So the transition and the, the fixing of San Francisco, we're putting a two to four year time frame on just getting started. So it might be five to 10 years before you see real appreciation in those properties again, because the transition of a lot of the commercial property in San Francisco proper is expensive, right? It's going to have to go mixed use. Uh, it's going to have to get redeveloped. And, you know, they have to start with, frankly, some political solutions um, in the city itself and how they deal with their homeless problem and the drug abuse. I will say it's fixable because I just saw it happen in Milwaukee. Milwaukee fixed 90% of their homeless problem in, in the last two years. And it was a pretty simple fix. I think we copied Houston, maybe. And I forget the other city that did the same thing. It's not politically popular, but it works. So I would expect everybody to take the same approach. And not going to get into it here. But, um, yeah, I'm cautious with California because I think the prices are high and coming down. And I don't know how long the down cycle lasts. I don't know how deep it gets. There are pockets, you know, one of the investors uh, that I actually manage money for, he's invested in Hollywood and Burbank area and doing well. But there are other parts of L.A. and even San Diego and San Francisco and some of the other cities that you look at and you go, whew, boy, oh boy. However, the thing people don't always grasp with California is that Silicon Valley which I got to tour on this trip, is massive. And I knew it was massive, but it was even more massive than I thought. I think it's something like 10 or 12% of the U.S. economy comes out of that county. So when we take a look at California, I would tell people I think there's awesome opportunities coming there. I don't think it's immediate, but it's something to take a look at because at some point, 
the transition ends, the fixes end, and it just goes into another massive bull market because it is tough to beat California when it comes to economics and climate and everything else. So, you know, they have to fix their forest situation. They have a lot of things to fix. The water that they've gotten recently hopefully keeps happening, or at least they start doing what Las Vegas does. You know, Las Vegas recycles like 99% of their water. So there's fixes, but fixes are expensive, and transitions take a long time, and people don't like transitions, so they sell, and prices go way down. I don't know if prices in California are below fair value yet. They might just be at fair value. But if we can get them below fair value in the next couple of years, I would just tell people to put that in the back of their filing cabinet and say, hey, I got to remember to look at California because when it comes roaring back, and it will, if I could have bought cheap at some point, and again, I think it's the next couple of years, um, you know, maybe be a, a great opportunity. Let's get into the, the company part of the program here. You name drop the company I didn't want to say earlier, Stag Industrial. I love Stag Industrial. I like how they fix up uh, Class B properties or Class C properties and turn them into real income generators and growth engines. I think, I think Stag, with the reshoring that's going on that's going to last for another decade or two, I think Stag has huge growth potential on top of the income that they pay. What's your take on Stag? Yeah, Stag is a great company. Um, you know, we picked up coverage right when they listed, you know, which has been uh, now, I think, 2009 or something like that, maybe in 10 or 11, over, over a decade. And, you know, Stag, uh, you know, again, they started out as a small company. They didn't have a lot of research. I think we were the first to provide research on, on Stag. Um, one of the, I guess one of the issues we saw with them early was they had a relatively high payout ratio when they listed. Uh, and they obviously did that purposely to attract retail investors. But what I admire about Stag and what the management team has done, of course, Ben Butcher is no longer the CEO. He's the chairman now. But what Ben did when he was CEO over a decade is he was able to do something that many other REITs could not do and that is grow the dividend and reduce the payout ratio. Now that sounds easy, but it's not. And so they had to grow their AFFO per share and could drop that payout ratio down. They wanted to do both and they, they executed on that. And now they've got that payout ratio down to a very manageable level. Right now the dividend yield is 4%. You may say that's not you know very high, especially in this high interest rate world, but, but what you get with STAG is very consistent Earnings growth now that and and now very consistent dividend growth. Uh, right now, analysts have forecasted about five percent growth in AFFO in 24-25. That's very consistent with their business model. Again, they've been able to get a, a, a investment grade balance sheet. Uh, so, so this is very safe money. The other thing I like that they've done, <coughs> excuse me, is they have they pay monthly dividends. And again, for a lot of a lot of investors. Paying monthly is no big deal, uh, but but they did that purposely to attract retail investors, and uh, and I think you know for a lot of investors that's really important to have that that monthly income stream, especially a retiree who's living on a social security plus plus dividends, and have that money coming in every month. So uh, 
Company's done a great job. Definitely an easy buy for us right now. A little pricey, I might add. So I would definitely wait on a pullback in terms of, uh, in terms of you know jumping all in today. But I'm I'm certainly happy to have Stag in the portfolio, and I've had it in my portfolio for probably a decade or so. Right. It's I I like the company. I think that the chances of negative surprises are very low. And I think that the opportunity or the outlook for positive surprises is unusually high. And I tie this to the whole reshoring that's going on. And I like their management. Um, I agree it's pricey right now, but we're watching it. If we can get it in the 20s again somewhere, uh, I think that it kind of becomes a no-brainer. So if you get a macro-driven stock market correction... I think this is one of the ones that people, again, should put in their file cabinet and say, I got to take a look at these guys because they don't have a lot of downside. And I think they have a lot of upside. It doesn't mean that it'll manifest. It doesn't mean they'll execute. But the track record suggests that they will. The secular trends are on their side. And if you can invest near the bottom of the cycle and get three, four, five years of great ownership out of it uh, on the next up cycle and maybe longer. I'm forecasting a huge millennial economic boom starting soon. And I think it's going to be very similar to the baby boomer boom of the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. So I'm, I'm on board with Tom Lee over at Fundstrat and FS Insight. People see him on TV all the time. Um, It's one of the institutional investors that I follow. And I think that we're going to see a transition period here for the next couple of years. It has to do with energy and technology and politics and geopolitical and currencies and everything else. But as energy gets cheap, which it will in the next few years, and as AI starts to make the economy even more efficient, right? We haven't seen a lot of productivity growth, but I think we're going to. I think that folks really should think that idea set through it's maybe more optimistic than most people believe or feel Um, but the gift of geography and technology and our system and everything else that we got going for america i think it all lines up that it's going to be very supportive for stag and companies like stag so you know stag compared to prologis you know prologis is is gigantic right and then stag is the smaller company so I kind of think of it like a small cap REIT um, with a lot of upside. What, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think, uh, of course, you know, Stag's, you know, now uh, $6 billion. Uh, Plymouth is kind of a almost identical uh, PLIM yeah. to Stag. And they're both, they're both based in Boston. Uh, I, I wonder, and, and by the way, Plymouth is about a billion market cap. I've often wondered why... Um, Stag doesn't just take them out. In other words, buy them. Um, the right. current AFFO yield, the equity yield for Plymouth right now is about seven percent. Probably a little expensive for for Stag today. I mean, they could have probably bought them, you know, somewhere you know at twenty twenty or twenty or below. But um, but right now the shares are about twenty three dollars. But but I definitely think Plymouth is uh, is kind of the next up and coming Stag. And again, I think it, it, it's uh, and, I, and by the way, I think Kirk, uh, I just finished an article on M and A. I think you're going to see some M and A 
more M&A industry. We already saw the Prologis Duke deal unfold. Tremendous value with Prologis. And uh, with, that, with that deal, I think you're going to see some more in industrial. And where I'm really, where I'm really thinking you're going to see more net lease, uh, M&A is in the net lease sector. There's, there's 17 or 18 net lease REITs right now. And that, that includes the two gaming REITs, by the way. So I just finished an article and I've, I've picked, or our team has picked, three of the net lease REITs that we think will not exist in a year because they will get absorbed either through public M&A or private M&A. Since I'm in Las Vegas, then let's talk about gaming REITs. I'm playing in the World Series of Poker right now, and I'm pretty hooked up in Las Vegas uh, through relatives and friends. Got in on the Caesars deal uh, pretty early on. Uh, and that, of course, uh, when Caesars had been bankrupt before that, they spun out Vici. So a lot of people love Vici. And it's been on my list. We've invested in it. I think some of my investors still hold it. I don't have it in the accounts that I manage right now. And I have my reasons. What do you think about Vici? Vici was our best pick in 2022. Uh, it was the top. It was not only our best pick in 22. We picked it, and they were the top performing uh, REIT and in, in equity and mortgage REIT in 2022. We have very high convictions for them in 23. Uh, so far this year, the sector in, in the when I say the sector, there's only other one gaming REIT, which is gaming and GLPI. Uh, thanks in large part to the um, merger of Michi and, um, and MGM Growth Properties. That was transformational. But year to date, the two, the two gaming REITs are down about 1.8%. So um, not necessarily, you know, crushing it this year, but Vici has, uh, is, I mean, the management team is doing everything right. Uh, we've interviewed Ed Petoniak, I don't know how many times, the CEO, probably at least two dozen times since the Caesars uh, deal was completed and Vici was formed. And uh, it's just amazing to see. This has to be the fastest growing REIT. They got in the S&P 500 in record time. And I also want to give credit not only to their management team, who I know all the C-suites pretty well, but also the board. Um, you may or may not know, you've got Craig McNabb sitting on the board. Craig was the former CEO of National Retail Properties. Uh, and there, I could go through each of their board members. They've got a really solid board providing tremendous value. What's really interesting with Vici though, and I think this, this is really unique, is how they've been able to maintain extremely low GNA, especially compared to their peer group. I mean, these are, these are huge assets that they manage, so they don't need that many people. They're not really collecting that many rent checks. A lot of these leases are master leases, so they get, you know, I don't know how many total operators, but it's not that many, you know, monthly payments they get. Uh, so their GNA costs are extremely low. They're headquartered in New York. They've got a small office there. They don't need tremendous overhead. And so they, I think these guys are really what I would call a consolidator machine. I think you're going to see them continue to uh, conduct sell leasebacks. Um, it'll be interesting to see how far outside of the gaming sector they go. They, they, they like to call themselves more of an experiential REIT. Uh, they've got investments in, in gaming parks and you know, uh, other, other experiential, uh, like Great Wolf is one example of that. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how far they expand that envelope in that experiential, uh, I think they should stay in the in the gaming space. 
there's plenty of opportunity, especially when you consider Canada, which they ventured out into, as well as Europe, which I think is definitely on the radar. And uh, Ed's told me uh, many times that they've got people, you know, boots on the ground in Europe. So I would not be surprised to see some European uh, news uh, sooner than later. Uh, but Vici's, you know, hitting all cylinders, cost of capital advantage, scale advantage, great uh, management team. And uh, just, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't find another bet. And, you know, I know, you, I know you're in Vegas, so I would be, definitely be putting a lot of chips on Vici. I still have very high conviction for the company. I, li- I like them better than gaming and leisure. Just, I mean, I own gaming and leisure, but I like the, I like the, 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 the more, uh, uh, I like the Las Vegas market. Uh, I think there's a lot of dynamics in, Mar- in Vegas. You, you know about the sports and everything going on there uh, in the town. And look, in, in, in a recession, kind of going back to that first question we talked about, um, look, I don't, I don't know. I've, I've been to Vegas, I think now 25 years. There's one, one year that I did not miss going to Vegas uh, out of 25. I used to go to the shopping center convention every single year. It was huge. It's like the Super Bowl for retail. All the REITs are there, all the developers, all the retailers. And uh, there's one year I missed. But I went through all of those except for the Great Recession. And what I found, though, is even in a recession, and Kirk, I'd love to get your feedback because you're, you're more boots on the ground than I am for Vegas. But even in a recession, people are gambling. In fact, I would argue then in a recession, as long as it's modest, a modest one, um, I think you're going to have more people playing blackjack and, and pulling those uh, slots uh, in a recession because they perhaps are, you know, down on their luck. They lost their job, uh, whatever, you know, but they're going to go win it all back uh, by, by spinning, the, spinning the wheel. So what, do you, what are your thoughts on, on gaming and, and recessions? There are certain stocks that get beat up in a recession, and gambling and hotels and restaurants there's all sorts of recession bear market fatalities and i think this is our thesis right now that vici could get dinged from a recession and if you take a look at their chart and the chart of similar companies because vici's chart isn't that long uh, but if you go back to Sands and you go to everybody else that's in this space, the variance, which is a poker term too, the variance of the share price is high. So you're going to get volatility. And if you get volatility in these stocks to the downside, uh, Vici is one, if you want to read, that I think you have to buy. Uh, again, we're not in it now. I think the company is fairly valued right now. Uh, and I don't buy fairly valued. Uh, but if they would get back down towards 20 again, I think that it becomes kind of a no-brainer. So if it took a 30% digger, I think that you have to own it uh, because I think that the nature of entertainment has changed for the millennials and for the Zs and whoever's after the Zs. Um, are they going to start the alphabet over? I'm not really sure. But... You know, you take a look at Vegas right now. And last year when I was here, I did some podcasts. I wrote some articles. I think there's some on Seeking Alpha, 40 Days in the Desert or 7 Days in the Desert. I don't know. You can take a look at my blog um, on Seeking Alpha. And I'll write another one when I get back, uh, comparing poker to investing probably. But last year, I thought it was the busiest I had ever seen. And this year, it's busier. So... 
people go to Vegas, and I've been talking to people from around the world, talk to a Chinese guy who is from Funye, and he didn't think I knew what it was, and I did, and we were talking, and I go, you've been to Macau? He goes, yeah, I go to Macau. Compare Macau and Las Vegas to me. And he just basically said, Macau's good, but everybody wants to go to Vegas. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's clear that Vici has a sweet spot here. The risk for Vici is they get too aggressive and they focus on growth at all costs, which, you know, boards are prone to do. So you have to watch to make sure they don't do that. I like their board. However, um, bad things happen. And if you watch the miniseries Succession, uh, you start to understand that corporate boards, at least in my opinion, aren't all that they're cracked up to be. I think that 40, 50, 60, somewhere around half of the people on boards are worthless, but they get paid a lot of money. Uh, I don't think that's the case with Vici, but I like to see execution, and I like to see cheap prices for me to get in at. I think the execution has been there, but I think they're starting to enter a phase where they have to expand out of Vegas. You know, there's not a lot of growth left in Vegas. You know, it, the the this last stretch from the south end of the Strip towards California, that's it. There, there's, there's just no more land. So you're going to see growth in Vegas slow for sure. There's no doubt about that. And they're going to have to replace that in other parts of the world. And I think that they are one of two REITs that I'm really excited to watch and see how they execute. So that's where I'm at on Vici. Um, I think that it's just an okay investment right now from these prices, uh, but it's a great company. And it's hard to ever be negative about a great company. So that's where I would come down on that. If they give it to me, if investors panic and just dump it out, you know, the baby with the bathwater, that's what I'm looking for. If I can get this stock in the lower 20s again, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. All right, so folks, we are up against some hard time limits. And we're going to talk about some other things in another call. But we're going to stop at Vici. And I want to thank Brad Thomas for coming on. And we will uh, be back with you. I think this is a, a great one to continue with. What do you think, Brad? Oh, man, let's do it. And uh, good luck good luck in Vegas. I can't wait to hear, uh, hear how you're doing. All right. Take care, everybody. Right. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. And we'll see you soon with a new episode.